Psalm 24, who is God? Or, let me say it this way, what is God like? That's the question we've been asking and answering. God has given us the answer in his scripture. Aren't you glad that we weren't left wondering who God is? That God gave us a whole giant book explaining to us who he is and what he is like. By the way, that's what the Bible is. The Bible is the story about God and his plan of redemption for mankind. This is the story that God is telling about himself. So in Psalm 24, the Lord really drops us in to see some important things. Somebody tell me what some of the things that we've been learning about who God is. Give me one. Somebody raise your hand and tell me. Absolutely. This is my Father's world. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. I gave you three of them. Somebody give me number two. It's number two. Number two? Okay. Oh, yes, ma'am. Oh, he is the Father of our salvation. But number two, the one that I gave you on my list, but that was great. That We can add that in as a fourth, right? So number two was that approaching God is a serious thing. And you must be clean to do it. You can't just approach God any way that you choose. Approaching God, coming into his presence, is a, is a serious thing. It's a really serious thing. And then the third thing that we talked about, or we're going to get to today, that is that God is the king of glory who will conquer all. God is the king, the great high king of glory who will conquer all. So this psalm was written, everybody turn to 2 Samuel. Keep your thumb where it's at. Turn a second. Other way, Cole. Yeah, there you go. If someone next to you doesn't know where it's at, help them out. 2 Samuel 6. In 2 Samuel 6, the Lord killed a man. What? Yeah, the Lord killed a man by the name of Uzzah. Everybody say his name with me. Uzzah. Somebody say it with me. Come on. Uzzah. The Lord killed a man by the name of Uzzah. And it really kind of rocked David. It really kind of shook him up. So in the story, David sent men to go get the Ark of the Covenant. Who knows what the Ark of the Covenant is? The Ark of the Covenant was this box that God had the make of Achaia wood. And he had it plated with gold. And it had these two angel-looking things with wings that were pointed towards each other. I meant to have a picture, but I don't have my picture with me. It had these, these angels on the top, and this ark was special. Inside of it was the Ten Commandments. Who here knows what the Ten Commandments are? The Ten Commandments are God's original ten laws that he gave to the children of Israel. They were special tablets. Moses broke the first set, and then God made another set. They put that in the Ark of the Covenant. Something really special, and it's representative of Christ about the Ark, is that once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. He would first sacrifice for his own sins, and then he would sprinkle the blood of the animal he killed for the people's sin as a representative to the Lord that one day Jesus Christ would come and wouldn't have to make sacrifice for his own sins and then go in and sacrifice for the people. No, he just had to make one sacrifice once for all. And that priest, he would stand all day long killing animals and killing animals, making sacrifice after sacrifice. But the book of Hebrews tells us that our great high priest, the Lord Jesus, he made sacrifice and he made it once for all and he sat down. 
never to make a sacrifice. Jesus didn't have to come and die and die and die again. So the Ark of the Covenant was a really special box. It was a really special thing. And God gave them super special instructions of how to carry it from place to place. And that's kind of what the story is about. So let me read something that might sound boring, but it's important. Numbers 4 says this. And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is to set forward, after that, the sons of Kohath, everybody say that name with me, Kohath, 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 Kohath. Okay, the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it. Now, these are the only people who are allowed to bear the Ark of the Covenant. It's who? The sons of Kohath. It's a who? The sons of Kohath. Only the, only the Kohathites. So, brother Blaine, say that with me. Kohathites. Kohathites. L.E.K., you want to say it real loud for everybody? Nice. She nailed it. This, the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it. They shall, notice this, they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. What happens if they touch the holy thing? They die. They die. What happens if they touch the holy thing? They die. So if someone touches this Ark of the Covenant, this holy thing, if they reach out and touches it, what happens? They die. Nah, nah, game over. They touch it and they're out instantly. Very clear. Right? Three words. Not a long legal contract. Very clear instructions. Don't touch it or you die. Super simple. Right? Everybody, it's, it's clear to even Joseph here. Right? It's clear, it's clear to all of us. We know what it says. So ready? But to recap, the Ark of the Covenant was to be carried by wooden poles. They had these little rings that they put the wooden poles through by the Kohathites and was never to be touched under the specified penalty of death. However, in 2 Samuel 6, this is how they were carrying it. They, it was being brought by non people who weren't sons of Kohath. It was David and his men that went and got it. It was being transported on a cart. God said, carry it on poles. They had it on a cart, which, by the way, was just like the Philistines did it in 1 Samuel. So they took a note from the world and said, let's do God's stuff just like the world is doing it. You guys see that? Church is to be done God's way. We don't do God's stuff like the world does it. Anyway, that's just a, for free. It was being transported on a cart. Uzzah, thinking he was doing right, touched the ark and was killed just as God had warned. 2 Samuel 6 a. Everybody there? Verse 8, and David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perizuzzah to this day. And David was afraid, notice that, David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? How can I bring the ark with me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. It might have been it might have been that David had different expectations of who God was. What do you mean? Well, it's super clear. Right? We, we all read it and we can understand it. They were living back in those days where they watched God judge and work and move his hand in a much more visible way in, in circumstance as far as war and battles. They saw the Lord moving and doing. So David should have taken the word of God more seriously than he did. If he was going to go get the Ark of the Covenant, one of two things had to happen. He either didn't care enough to figure out 
what God had said of how to move it, or two, he knew what God would do, and he didn't think God would follow through on it. See, let me give you an illustration. So say I work at Chick-fil-A. Right? I used to work at Chick-fil-A. Who here likes Chick-fil-A? You guys like Chick-fil-A? Favorite thing, favorite thing, Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A. Grilled chicken. Grilled chicken. Mm-hmm. Dog food. But anyway. <laughs> okay. I, in ranch, though, in ranch is really good. So let's say grilled chicken nugget. So I'm, I work at Chick-fil-A, right? I'm working at Chick-fil-A, and I sit down for my first meeting. Say Joseph is my manager, and I'm sitting down at my first Chick-fil-A meeting, and Joseph is my boss. He hands me this instruction book. He hands me a book, right? It's my employee manual. God hand, Not God, Joseph. <laughs> hands, me, hands me this book. And inside of it, it says this. It says that if you eat chicken on the clock, you are instantly fired. So one of two things happens. Either I just don't care to read the instruction manual because what it says doesn't really matter. Or I read it and I see that and I think to myself, like lots of people who work do, they won't really enforce that. It's just going to be whatever. So I'm on the clock and... And Sam, me and Cole, Cole's mouth is watering over top of the grill, yeah. <sighs> and he's, he's looking at those chicken nuggets, but he knows what the rules say. So Cole, trying to get me in trouble because Cole doesn't care about hey, my job. He, he says, hey, hey Alex, because he doesn't call me brother Alex. He's like, Chick-fil-A worker Alex, would you like to t- you try one of these grilled chicken nuggets to see if they're still fresh? So me not knowing my manager is watching, Joseph is over there watching, I take the nugget, and as soon as the nugget, Touches my tongue. Joseph, absolutely. He says, he says, you're fired. Get out. So two things happens. As I'm walking out with my stuff, coworkers, my coworkers are split in half. Half of them realize, oh, what instruction, what the employee manual really matters. So we better start really keeping these rules. Or two, they just get mad. They're like, oh, they shouldn't have done that. That's a stupid rule anyway. They shouldn't have fired him. And that's exactly what happened with David. David watched... The Lord judge Uzzah exactly how he said he would judge Uzzah. And David's reaction was twofold. He was mad at God. Think about that. The guy who wrote the book of Psalms looked at God and was mad at God for doing exactly like God said he would do. And two, he was then afraid of the Lord. He was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of God come to me? Is that not so much like us? God has specifically, can I borrow this? God has specifically in his word told us exactly what we need to know. He's told us that he will chasten every son whom he likes, every son in whom he delighted. He you're his son. You're his son. If you're a believer in Christ, you are a child of God. And God will chasten his children if they step out of line. So we disobey God's word, or we don't care enough about what it says, thinking that what it says doesn't really matter, so we don't even bother to read it. And then God chastens us. God gives us a heavenly spanking, not, not with a paddle to your butt, but rather to like chasing you in your life to punish you, almost like a heavenly grounding. Right? And God does that when we step out of line. And we look at God, and we, God, why'd you do this to me? I know I'm living, but God, that doesn't, why are you judging me for that? Do you really think that, you know, me not tithing is really worth 
The curse that you've put on my finances? God, do you really think that, yeah, I don't attend church, or God, I don't spend time with you at all, even though you commanded me to study your word? And God, you're chastening me for it. God, why are you doing this to me? Come on, God, cut me some slack. Give me a break. And we look at God mad. Or two, the desired thing happens. God teaches you to really respect him. And to really respect his word. And to look at his word and look at it in more serious eyes. Let me say this, my friends, my brothers and sisters. That God will do what he said he will do. God is not a person who just says something and doesn't follow through. Who's known somebody like that? I've done it in my own life. I've done it as youth pastor. I've said something and then I haven't followed through and I feel bad. God's not like that. When God says he'll do something, God will do it. So when God gives you a command in the scriptures, whether you read it or not, it's in there. And he will chasten his children accordingly. I said, he will chasten, he will punish accordingly. So two things you need to do. Read it, take it seriously. Read it, take it seriously. Okay, moving on. So in the story, the Lord, let me change, let me get over there. Sorry. This is what happened to David on that day. Verse 9, 2 Samuel 6, 9. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? Verse 10, So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. That's not the end of the story. When David sent the ark to Obed-Edom, the Lord blessed the house of the same guy. The Lord started blessing Obed-Edom. Just because this box was in his house, the Lord was blessing. By the way, yeah, if you touch the ark, it's bad, ouch, dead, you're gone. But having God around is a great thing. It was a positive thing. Only when they stepped over the line that God had prescribed did it cause them problems. So may I say this, that God is not a mean person. God is a positive person. God is a positive being. God wants to bless. His intention is to be kind. His intention is not to show wrath. Lord, that's not what he's always looking to do, always looking to strike, always looking to punish. No, God wants to bless. God wants to have you close. It's only when we do things against what God has said that God has to punish us for it. Does that make sense, everybody? Can I have the girls all look over here, please? Thank you. When David heard that God was blessing Obed-Edom, he called for the ark of the Lord to come to the city of David to be put in the tabernacle that he made for God. Verse 12, everybody look there. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom, and all that pertaineth unto him, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And so it was, and it was so, that when they bare the ark of the Lord, had gone six paces, they went six steps, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. This is kind of funny to me. So they go back for a second try. Do over time, right? So they, they get the poles. They put the poles in, right? They start to carry it on their shoulders. And they go, ready? One, two, three, four, five, six. And after the sixth step, I can almost imagine them going, We survived! Yeah, and that's kind of what happened. They went six steps. 
And they looked at each other to make sure nobody was dead. They put the ark down and they had a party. They were excited. Way we can move it. And they sacrificed six ox and six um, fatlings. It was pretty cool. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. With Alex, that means we can dance. Well, the word dance there literally means spinning or twirling. This is, I'm going to look really stupid. Does everyone want to see me look really stupid? This is what David, this is David's dance for. Literally, that's what the Bible's saying that he's doing. He's making like almost like a fool of himself in front of the Lord because he's just ever seen somebody like when you win a game of sports and they just jump and they're like, yeah, and they look, they're looking real stupid because they're so yeah. excited. Yeah, you or, or me, I've done that too when I wasn't even playing, watching the Mavs or something. And David's just so excited. He's literally spinning and leaping like this. David's so happy. So if that's the kind of dancing you want to do, go ahead, man. Get down. You want to spin and leap. Do it, man. The people of God were celebrating their God. Verse 15. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. I hope and wish you guys get excited about God. God is so awesome. And we ought to celebrate that we get to have his presence with us. Verse 16. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, that's his wife, that's David's wife, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. By the way, you get excited about the Lord, some people are going to get unexcited that you're excited. And you know what you need to do? Get excited anyway. Yeah. Get excited. Just because someone gets upset isn't a sign that you're doing the wrong thing. Rather, Jesus said this, Woe if all men speak well of you. Luke 6, read it yourself. He says, Woe if all men speak, if everybody talks good about you, so did they with the false prophets. That's actually it. If everybody likes you, everybody in the world likes you, that means you're not standing for Christ. You stand up for the Lord Jesus, and people will get mad at you. People will get mad at you. So you get excited about God. You start praising and working and living for God. Sam, you become that example that God's called you to be at your school. People aren't going to like it. People are going to get mad. You know what you need to do? Keep going. Not to rub it in their face like, <laughs> you don't bother me. <laughs> and kind of twist their nose. No, rather, give them the other cheek. Love them in return. That's the same passage. Jesus says, love your enemies, which despitefully use and persecute you. And keep going. And keep going. Keep witnessing. Keep worshiping. Keep getting excited about God. Even if people don't like it. Verse 17. And they brought the ark in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place. In the midst of the tabernacle that, the, that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. The ark of the Lord had come into the city of David. That is where our psalm picks up. Everybody go Psalm 24. We'll finish. We're going to finish in six minutes, okay? Lift up your heads, O ye gates. And be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Let's all sing, say that together. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. And be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Now, if you can't get excited at church, I doubt you'll get excited out in the world when people don't like you. So let's get excited. Verse 7, let's say it nice and loud. Cool, you pumped? Yeah? All right, let's say, let's say it nice and loud. I'll be louder than everybody, so if you feel embarrassed, whatever. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. They sang. 
for them to lift up and open the gates to let the ark come in, either to the city or the tabernacle. It is unclear what David means by everlasting doors. It might be that David is here is saying that the doors are everlasting because God will defend his people forever and that city will endure forever. Verse 8, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. In their song, this is them singing. They're singing as they bring the ark in. One side is singing, lift up your heads, O ye gates. The king of glory shall come in. They're, they're singing this. And then they say, who is this king of glory? And then the other side, it's like when we split, like one side says this, the other side. The other side says, who is this king of glory? And the other side, the, the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Verse 9. Lift up your heads. This is a repeat. O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. This is a repetition of what was already sung. To be the Lord of hosts, let me explain, is to be the leader of the armies of heaven. Who is this king of glory? The, the leader of the armies of heaven and the leader, the true leader of our armies. He certainly was that during David's days. You may ask, and I'm finished. That was the last verse, right? So let me finish. How does this apply to us, Brother Alex? Are we about to bring the Ark of the Covenant in here? Is this like, like one of those movies where they have the Ark? No, 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 no. Let me, let me explain. So how does this apply in the New Testament age? The book of Revelation, I'll read it for you. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Notice verse 9 again, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up. Open the door, open the gates, ye everlasting door, and the King of glory shall come in. Let me explain what the verse means and I'll be done. In Revelation 3, Jesus himself is talking to his individual churches. He gets to this one called the Church of Laodicea. We would be the Church of Saraland, right? And the Church of Laodicea it was a place. They had a problem. They had big problems. But see, Cole, they were, they were self-deceiving. See, they were self-deceiving. They thought that they had need of nothing, quite literally. You read the passage yourself. They said, we are full, we are clothed, we are rich, and we have need of nothing. Jesus looked at them quite differently. He said, you're lukewarm. You're not even cold. You're not hot. They weren't totally without love for Jesus, but they certainly weren't passionate about Jesus. He said they were lukewarm. You guys ever had like lukewarm coffee before? I wish it called iced coffee or hot coffee. But right there, it's like gross. Like throw it out, make me another cup, right? That's exact. Jesus said, I wish you were cold or hot. But since you're lukewarm, I want to spew you out of spit take. Jesus, I, I don't like this lukewarmness. You know, Jesus said, you are miserable. You think you are in need of nothing. But I see you. I see you for the truth. You are miserable, poor, wretched, blind, and naked. This church had all of it. They had works. They were doing for Jesus. They were having church. And Jesus, all the while, all the while is like this. Is Brother Alex in church with us? No, he's outside. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. Oh, uh, Brother Alex, if, you, if I were to ask any of you, or anybody in this church, do you love Jesus Christ? They all would say yes, but how often do we sacrifice for Jesus? How often do we choose ourselves over Jesus? 
how often do I do this or do that? And yeah, Jesus, I will give you my leftovers. I don't not do anything for Jesus. It's not that I don't have any love for Jesus, but rather instead, I kind of just give Jesus what I have left over. I give Jesus the leftover thoughts of my mind. I give Jesus my leftover affection. Whatever I haven't already given, I give to him. As, you know, I'll just do Jesus this favor. And Jesus, you know what that says? That he's on the outside of the church that is like that. Guys, I want Jesus to be with us in this youth group. And all of us, we're all Hannah and Sue and Cole and Sam, Ellie, Kate, Joe, and, and James, who's not here. Every one of you are important. And are a big part. Brother Blaine, too. And Miss Rebecca. We're all a part of this youth group. We're all a part of this family. And if I and this youth group won't necessarily just get big and grow, or we won't just be on fire if just one of us gets on fire. It's about all of us individually falling deep into passion and affection with the Lord Jesus Christ. Until we do, and maybe it is that the Lord's outside, that we think we meet with Jesus in here. But all the while, he's out there, and he wants to come in. He didn't lock himself out there. He's not throwing a temper tantrum. He's waiting for us to open the door. And lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift it up, ye everlasting doors. The church will prevail forever. But whether Jesus is inside or outside is up to the people who are in the church. Lord Jesus, thank you for your mercy and your goodness. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to be passionate and loving for you. Christ Jesus, make us like you. Help us to love you more deeply. In your name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.